Thank you for joining us for the True Life Fellowship Church podcast. Here is today's message from Pastor Devon Alexander. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15 and meet me at verse 11. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Once again, thank you for your attendance. Thank you for everybody watching online, those that will join us in the replay. And we're going to read from verse 11 all the way down to verse 24. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry Now notice this in verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry. Will you say this after me? My son was dead dead. and and is alive. As I was praying about what to bring to you this Resurrection Sunday, I had so many things that I was going to preach that I wanted to share with you, Sonia. I was going to let it rip. I was going to get Kurt on the keyboard, and we're going to get it going. But the Lord began to talk to me about the lost son, or what we call the prodigal son. And I said, Lord, this is a Father's Day message. I want to preach this on Father's Day. He goes, yeah, this is a Father's Day (laughs) message. And so as I wrestled with him to bring something that would get you dancing and jumping and stomping your feet, I had to go back to, to, to obey God and to declare to, to you what the Lord would have for you today. And I believe today is going to change your life forever. How many of you know that the, 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 the Satan has ruined many relationships? I mean, how many of you experience, especially in families, He has ruined family relationships, friendships. He has ruined tons of relationships. 
And I hate to give him any credit, but he's been very effective at ruining relationships, especially relationships that have to do with fathers. It's amazing how he has attacked fathers so strong because fathers are the backbone of our society. Everything really rises and falls on the stability of a father in the home. We have statistics that show and tell us that. Most crime is committed by men. And most uh, situations where kids don't do well in school or kids live a crazy life or children grow up with this pain and this shame and this condemnation, a lot of times it has to do with fatherlessness or it has to do with bad interactions with fathers. And people, even today, maybe I'm talking to you, you have some hurt where fathers are concerned. Maybe your father wasn't there. Maybe your biological father wasn't there. Maybe you've never met your father, or maybe your biological father wasn't a good representation of the father God. I thank God for stepfathers because stepfathers have come in and taken the place where biological fathers have abandoned. I thank God for father figures, father figures that have come in and they've seen people, children that don't have a father and they become a good representation of a father. And Satan has done a terrible job (laughs) of ruining relationships. He really has. And there's a lot of issues that people have with their fathers. I was reading some things and uh, social psychologists say that there is a sequence that we all go through, especially sons with their fathers, that they go through and lead to a certain destination. For example, the first sequence we see is a child will idolize their father. A child would say, the father cannot do any wrong, right? My father is invincible. My father is Superman. My father can get things done. Uh, he can't do anything wrong. And that is the idolization stage of the sequence. The second part of the sequence is what they call the discord. <laughs> That's the phase where you grow up a little bit and you start smelling yourself, right? And you start thinking you know everything. A lot of teenagers are in this stage right now where they know more than their fathers. They know more than their parents. They, they're fighting their parents. They, they have all the answers and they're in this stage of discord where their fathers are concerned. Um, girls, you go through this too as well. I'm not just talking to boys. Girls go through this as well. The third part of this sequence, they say, is what they call the evolving part of the relationships between a father or a son or daughter. And in this part of the relationship is where they get maybe into their 20s or so, and unintentionally, there is competition. I'm trying to be better than my father. I'm trying to outdo my father. In this stage, you see all of the negatives that your father has. You see it, you don't see anything positive. All you see is negatives in this stage. How awful your father is, how bad he is, how he should have done this, that, or the third. And you might be true in your rationalization, but you go through this stage that they call evolving. And then once you get through the evolving stage, you go through a stage they call acceptance. And you begin to accept your father 
for who he is. You know, he wasn't there, and uh, he's probably not going to always be there. You know, he's, he's late all the time, and he's probably always going to be late. He don't say, I love you enough, but he's probably going to always not say, I love you enough. You're going to get to this place where you just kind of accept it, and you're maturing at this point where it is what it is. You're not going to change another human being. Did you hear me? You're not going to change another human being. They are going to change by their own will and their own choice and by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that can change a human being. You can't, if you're dating somebody, you're not going to change that person you're dating. What they show you is what they are. Believe it when you see it. Okay? Because they're not changing. And in this stage, your grown adult father is not going to change. And then the last stage they get to is they talk about the stage, they call it legacy. And at this point, you're mature, you're a little older, your father's a little older, and now all you see is the positives. You see, man, he, you know, you see some good things about your father. And I assume, and I have some proof here, but I assume that the younger son, the prodigal son, uh, is the one, is in the stage, in the sequence, where he's in that, in that discord sequence where or maybe he's in that evolving sequence where there could be a competition he walks up to his father and he says to him give me the inheritance that you owe me he literally says to him you are dead to me because inheritance only comes once the father has passed but now he's asking for his inheritance now so he's communicating to his dad you're dead to me and i want the inheritance now. Now his father acts in agape love, unconditional love, which is patient and which is kind. And this love is long suffering. And the father has the boldness to say, I'm going to give you your inheritance. Now, matter of fact, I'm going to give it to you and your big brother. He divides the inheritance among them right at this moment while he's still living. This was a dishonorable request. This was a, a request out of rebellion. But the father doesn't fight against the will of the son. He says, I'll give you your inheritance right now. And then the son packs his bags and then he goes the furthest place he could go. He's trying to get away from the father as fast as he could and as far as he could. He is leaving the father. I don't want nothing to do with you. I've got the inheritance. He doesn't value the inheritance because he begins to spend the inheritance on extravagant living. He begins to spend money and spend money and spend money in ways that he was going to eventually run out of, that was going to produce no fruit, that was not going to produce anything positive in his life. How disrespectful. The father worked so hard to lay a foundation to give this son a path of prosperity, but the son takes advantage of the kindness of the father and he takes the inheritance and he begins to spoil it. He even gets to the place where he has run completely out of money and the timing wasn't good because then a, uh, <laughs> a recession or depression takes place. So now he's out of money and the whole country area is going through a depression. So he's looking for a job, can't find a job, doesn't really have a lot of skill set, is hungry, not a lot of people are hiring. He goes and he begins to feed swine. And he's so hungry, 
and he's so poor and he's so despicable that he begins to eat the, the, the food, the pods, the food that is fed to the pigs. This is his low point. Now understand, he had a good, good father. It's who you are. He had a good father. He had a good father. He had a good father, but then he begins to get to rock bottom. And I like what he does next. Scripture says he comes to himself. That means the way he was acting was not himself. He comes to himself. He says, you know what? My father, I love it. That's the first thing he says. My father has servants that work for him and they have plenty. And he begins to think, what if I go back to my father? What if I return? Somebody shout return. What if I go back to my father, I return to him. He's a kind man. He's a patient man. He's a compassionate man. And I return to him and I don't have to be in this, this situation anymore. And so he does something that most of us don't do. He thinks about something and then he does it. Now, this is a problem with, with you and I. We, we have all these grand thoughts about, oh, I'm going to start working out. What if I start working out? You know, I'm going to get started on working out. And we think about it, and that's good, and then we don't do it. You know what? I'm going to apologize to that person. You know what? It is time for me to ask them for their forgiveness. Oh, that sounds great. And you think about it, think about it, and, and then you don't do it. You know what? I'm going to do something great. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to slip a $100 bill into Ruthie's hand. And this is what I'm going to do. I, I'm, God, and then you don't do it. But thank God this son followed through on his thoughts. And he says, I think what I'll do, I'll go back to my father. And matter of fact, he actually does. He, he sees the kindness, the love the compassion that he fathers has, and he wants to return. Somebody say return. return. He wants to return to the father. Maybe he believes the father may just accept him as a servant. That's why he made the step to return. Maybe there's something about the father that he sees and he knows that causes him to make that step in heading back to his father. So he says, I'm going to back to my father and he actually does it. This is your season to stop thinking about doing things and start doing things. I don't want to hear about you're going to write a book. I want you to start writing the book. I don't want to hear about you're going to start writing songs. I want you to write those songs. I don't want to hear about I'm going to start working out. I want you to work out. I don't want to hear about I'm going to start eating right. I want you to eat right. I can say these things to you. And too much thought and not enough doing. But this young man, he heads back to his father. Now, understand, he is broke, busted, and disgusted. He just got done, you know, uh, rolling around with the pigs in the mud, smelling like pigs, stinky. Starts heading back to the father in probably the worst condition. He had no money. It's a famine or, or depression going on in the area. Nobody's giving away stuff during this season. He heads back to the father. But 
The father is looking for him. So he's standing out on his porch and he's anticipating one day my son's going to return. One day he's going to come back. One day he's going to come to his senses. I believe he was praying for him. I believe he was interceding for him. He says he's going to come back and he sees him from afar off. And he runs, the father runs to the prodigal son, to the dishonorable son, to the rebellious son, to the son who is disobedient. He runs to him, grabs him, hugs him, kisses him, and says, oh my gosh, you're home, you're home. And then the son begins to recite what he had practiced. Father, I have sinned against you. And I've sinned against heaven. And I no longer am where. And as soon as he begins to recite what he had thought of, the father interrupts him. Footnote. This is, this is footnote. This is just me, okay? I have an issue with these long sinner prayers. Why does sinner prayer got to be so long? Why do we have to say so much stuff in order for the Lord Jesus to accept, it, it's, it's not long. It's Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Thou shalt be saved. But we got this long five minutes. Say this after me, and it's five minutes long. It don't take all of that for salvation to, to, to get a grip on you. You can just be going down in some flames and say, Jesus. And if you believe in your heart, immediately thou art saved. So this son comes. The father doesn't even let him finish his speech. He says, immediately, go get the best robe I've got. Tells one of the other servants, go get my ring. Tells another servant, Go get my sandals and let's kill the fatted calf. Now understand, these four things he shouted out for his servants to go do were not necessities. This is all to honor this son. You cannot out God's forgiveness. Let me say it again. You cannot out God's forgiveness. You can always come home. You can always return. I don't care what you did last night. You could have cussed and fussed last night. If you return to the Father, there is forgiveness for you always. Now, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid we should do that. But if you miss the mark, you can always come home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. hallelujah. So the son is standing there, stinky, smelly, uh, clothes looking terrible. The dad interrupts his speech, has already released forgiveness towards him. And then the dad brings out the robe and he puts the robe on his son. And that robe represents forgiveness. It represents righteousness. It represents you are in right standing with me. 
You remember at first he shouted to the dad, give me my inheritance. And now he's saying, make me one of, my, one of your servants. But the father has better plans for him. So he puts the robe on him. This robe is a long robe. It goes from head to toe, long robe, and it represents forgiveness, and you are in right standing with God. Now, just a few hours ago, he was living lavishly, a few days ago, but the father forgave him and put the robe on him. Then he says, bring out the ring. So they bring the ring out. And, they, and the father places the ring on his finger, and the ring represents sonship. It represents honor. And he puts the ring on his son saying, you know what? Just yesterday, you were dishonorable. You were disobedient. You were rebellious. But today, you've come back. All you got to do is return. All you got to do is return. All you got to do is return. You came back, and I'm going to put this ring on you, and this ring says, you're my son, and everybody that sees this ring knows what family you are a part of. Hallelujah. Then he grabs the sandals, puts sandals on his feet. Now, in that day, most people who were not affluent were barefoot. But if you wore sandals, that meant you had some honor and you had some value. You carried some sense of position. And he put sandals on his feet. And it showed everyone that this man is valuable. Now, understand, he's still stinky, smelly, looking crazy, but he's valuable because of the sandals, because of the ring, and because of the robe. He says, let's kill the fatty calf. So they kill the biggest animal that they've got to consume and eat. I can't wait till we eat after this. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Stacy was cooking last night, preparing the meal, and it's going to be good. Matter of fact, I, I had to get a little taste of it before, make sure it's okay for the rest of the family. You know what I mean? I'm the cupbearer. I'm the taste tester. And they kill the fatty calf, and they, they get excited. They get, they get married. They, they celebrate the return. And then the father shouts this out. He says, my son was dead, but now he's alive. You cannot have a resurrection until you have a death. And a resurrection is always a new beginning, a new start, a fresh start, an original start. And even though you have a past, when there is the resurrection, then there is a freshness that comes with it. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A resurrection has taken place, and now you are a new person, even though five seconds ago you were someone else. One thing about a resurrection is a resurrection causes us to be filled with the power of God because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11, 
dwells on the inside of you, quickening your mortal flesh. The spirit of God that drew him out of death, hell, and the grave is the same power that resides on the inside of you and the power of God will rise up on the inside of you and drive out sickness, drive out disease, drive out poverty, drive out negativity, drive out confusion. It's the power of God residing on the inside of you. And every time you tap into this resurrection power, you're tapping into your righteousness, you're tapping into your position of who you are in Christ, and you're tapping into the value that God has placed on and in your life. Somebody shout resurrection. resurrection. Now when he returned, now here he is looking like he is somebody. Now watch this. And this part stood out to me. There was no trace of his past on him. It didn't matter how he looked, what clothes he had on, because he had the robe of righteousness to cover it. Glory to God. He had the sandals on his feet and he had the ring. Didn't matter what he looked like because he was cleaned up under that right standing with God. See, you don't do things to be made right with God. You just return and he'll make you right with him. You just go back to him. You just run back to him. Even if you missed it just yesterday, you just run to him. Even if you're disobedient, you run to him and say, Lord, I run to you. You never lost your right standing with God. Matter of fact, you can't lose your right standing with God. You can't send it away. Now, you can choose to disconnect intentionally, willful, and deliberate. But why would you do that? You got a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. This is who he is, a good father. So there is no trace of his past. Glory to God. God wants to clean you up so much to the point that there is no trace of your past. No one will know what you've went through because you've got the righteousness of God, you've got the ring, and you've got the sandals, glory to God. No one's going to look at you awkwardly because you've got the favor of God. You've got the, the grace of God. You carry the mercy of God. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord. You are filled with his glory now and you have his authority so you can call things that be not as though they were. You can speak to things and things must change because that's what authority operates like. Authority uses its vocal cords to speak and things are changed. This is what you carry. This is who you are. When you're with the Father, you carry significance. You are just not a person wandering around Walmart trying to find stuff in the store. You're a carrier of the Almighty God clothed in the righteousness of God. The devil sees the ring on your finger. The demons see the sandals on your feet. And you walk into Walmart like, I'm here on a mission. Are you listening? When I go into Walmart, everybody's safe because I'm in Walmart now. 
Are you listening to me? Everybody say, because I'm up in here now. No evil shall befall me, nor shall any plague come near me. Glory to God. It's not because of me. It's because of the robe of righteousness. It's because of the ring that he has given me. And it's because of the sandals that I wear. My feet are covered. I'm stomping on the devil's head everywhere I go. I'm stomping on negativity everywhere I go. I didn't say you wasn't going to go through something, but you are above it. You're not beneath it. You're the head and not the tail. You are above it, so you're stomping on it. And don't let the effects bother you because you carry the robe of righteousness. Hallelujah. I'm preaching better than you saying amen up in here today. Because God's righteousness is what carries you forward. It's his right standing that he has given you, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, simply because you're his. Say, I am his. Say, he is mine. Say, I am his. He is mine. One more time. I am his. He is mine. Righteousness. It's the right standing that you have with him. Now, the older brother, he's chilling in his home. Remember, he received his inheritance. Chilling with the father, doing everything the father has told him to do, asked of him. He hears about his younger brother coming home. He says, what's all this excitement about? He said, your younger brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And he's like, I ain't going to celebrate with that. And this is a situation of self-righteousness, which we all tend to deal with if we're not careful. Self-righteousness says, I deserve that. Now listen to me. If you feel like you deserve something from God, you are self-righteous. Because everything you've gotten from God is by grace through faith. It's not by deserving it. So I want you to eliminate out of your vocabulary, I deserve it. Just take it completely out of your vocabulary. I deserve to be treated better than this. Take it out of your vocabulary because you deserve death, hell, and the grave. I deserve a raise. Go on, take that out of it and say, by God's grace and favor, they're going to give me a raise in Jesus' name. I deserve this and that. Take it out of your vocabulary because it is a fruit of self-righteousness. You're saying, I have worked for it and I have earned it, and you owe it to me. And this is what the older brother did. Why are you giving him the robe of righteousness? And why are you giving him the ring? And why are you giving him the sandals? And I've been with you all your life, or all my life, really, the older brother's life. I've done everything you told me to do. I've said what you told me to say. I've accomplished what you told me to accomplish. Why have you not done this for me? On, on the basis of the question, we would think, well, why? Why didn't he do it for him? I mean, he's always been there. And I like what the father said to him. All I have is yours. Meaning you could have at any moment killed the fatty calf and celebrated. You could have any moment walked into my closet 
grab the robe of righteousness, grab my ring, grab my sandals. At any moment you could have, but instead, this man gets self-righteous. And we got to be careful of being self-righteous because when we see people that have done wrong, come to the Lord, come to the Father. If we're not careful, we'll think, well, they deserve something worse than what they're getting. And that is self-righteousness. Somebody that returns to God and you know they've done some wickedness and you know all the evil they've done and you know what they have accomplished and you know how they've hurt you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How they've hurt you. I was talking to a particular person one time and I didn't know this was in this person, but it was a a situation. It was a, a husband and wife that had gotten divorced and while marriage is one of the best things that can happen to you, how many know divorce is one of the worst things that can happen to you? It really is. A lot of emotion, a lot of ties in a divorce. And I was talking to this lady, and it seemed as if the husband, I'm sorry, the divorced husband was trying to be involved in the children's life. And... Uh, she didn't want that to happen, which happens way far too often. It ought not be the case. Let, 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 let the dad be a dad. And I was talking to her and she said, I, um, I don't, I don't want him to do it. I said, you know, let him, let, let him be a dad. Let, let, let him, just give him a chance. Let, let's see what could, what could come of this. Let, let it happen. Let it occur. I, I don't want to say, why don't you want? She said, I just don't want. I said, why don't you want? I just don't want. You know me, I just kept going. Well, why? Why? Why don't you want? There's a why behind you keep saying the same thing over and over. Why don't you want? She said, because he owes me. And it came deep, deep down. He has stolen. And she went down the line on all the things he did, which are all probably very true. Right? And I said, what if the Lord Jesus treated you like that. I know you think you're good and you're holy and you look nice today and everything, you know, you got it going on. You were despicable. You were evil. You were wicked. You were on your way to destruction. I know in your eyes you thought you looked good and you smelled good and, and, and all that good stuff, but you were terrible and God forgave you. Why would you hold it against him? Well, I've forgiven him once, but the Lord Jesus said 70 times seven. Mm-hmm. Have you forgiven him 490 times? <laughs> and that was just a number he threw out there to mean a lot. Forgive. Self-righteousness doesn't forgive. Self-righteousness doesn't give grace to other people. Somebody makes make a mistake. Self-righteousness doesn't Give grace. There was one particular time <laughs> Stacy was backing up. She backed into a mailbox. Oh, I was so upset. Oh, my gosh, babe, how did you back into this mailbox? Oh, my gosh. We want to pay for this. My goodness, why are you back in the mailbox? Two days later, I didn't back into something myself. 
backed in the garage, hit the side mirror of the, you know, trying to get out the garage, backed into it. She said, why are you not saying all that right now about yourself? I said, you know what? You're right. Now, this was many, many, many years ago, but I said, you're right. I said, I'm learning. I'm growing. That was a self-righteous response, as if I've not done anything wrong. The, do- the dad says, my son was dead. I believe today that many of you need to come to yourself. There's some things that you need to put a death to. There's some people that you're still talking to that you need to cut off. There's some relationships that you're involved in that are not fruitful. They're not productive. They're wasting your time. You need to literally cut it off. I didn't say be mean. I just said don't respond when they call. (laughs) You don't have to text back. Did you know that this phone has an off button? You can cut it off, actually. The Lord told me to tell you this morning that today is resurrection day for you. That let some things die this morning. Let some relationships die. Let some hurt die. Let some shame die. Let some things die this morning. Yeah, you can help me out there, Kurt. Let some things die. Let it die this morning. Let it die. Let it die. Close your eyes right now because I want the Lord to minister to you this morning. There are some people. He told me this a few weeks ago and he named a couple of people. These people are not not adding any value to your life whatsoever. Let today be a resurrection day to start something fresh, to start something new, because you carry the robe of righteousness, the ring of sonship and sandals that carry value. You are important. Your time is important. Your vision is important. Your purpose is important. Your dreams are important. What God has placed on the inside of you is important. Your destiny is important. Some of those things that you've been thinking about that you want to do and accomplish, they're important. They're critical. They are important. And God wants today to be a resurrection day for you. The Lord wants you to start afresh anew. After today, start something new. He, you already know what it is. He, some of you say, well, what is it, Lord? I've already been talking to you about this. I've already been communicating with you about the newness, the freshness. Start it new. Start it fresh today. Let things die today. Let today be a different day. Just like Jesus rose, it was different than Saturday. Sunday was a different day. The veil was torn from top to bottom. It's a different day. We can come straight to the fire. It's a different day. There was an event that changed the trajectory of your life and it's this resurrection day let it change the trajectory of your life today let your purposes be fulfilled let your plans be established let your vision be unfolded let your destiny be impacted because today is a new day you have been listening to the ministry of Devon Alexander Pastor of True Life Fellowship Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more information, 
Go to our website at www.truelifefc.org. You can also support this ministry financially through our website. Thank you, and remember to love, learn, live, and lead.